You're listening to Artistic Finance, show 154. On today's show, Amy Deluxe chats with Amy Pett about the book Financial Feminist by Tori Dunlap. They discuss their takeaways from the book, including statistics of pay for women and men, knowing your value so your finances can reflect your values rather than trying to have finances that reflect the values of society, negotiation tips, including suggesting to negotiate for the market rate of a job rather than what you personally need to survive, and take care of your financial health first before helping others. The biggest takeaways I had were from the negotiation discussion. Now, this episode is worth the listen just for that. There were several great nuggets and reminders for when you are negotiating. Now, today's show is a broadcast of the Financial Independence Club in collaboration with Utopia Dreamscape. Find out more at utopiadreamscape.com. Now, I'm not involved in today's episode because it happened back in August, and I was busy moving and taking my first ever full-time job. Now, I'm pointing that out because I didn't skip this meeting because it was so heavy on the feminism. I would have gladly participated in the discussion because, as Amy says in the episode, I gave financial advice to a male, and that's okay. (laughs) All right, at the end of this episode, I will be back to give my takeaways. I also want to mention that this week we have a bonus episode over on Patreon, and that is about my experience being the associate lighting designer on Dead Man Walking, which opened last week at the Metropolitan Opera in New York. So if you want to hear about how lighting works at the Met, including my contract negotiations, find it over at Patreon, where I talk all about that. Now you can find that at patreon.com slash artistic finance. Without further ado... Let's get to the show. You are listening to Artistic Finance, where we help creatives learn about the business of show business. Welcome and thank you for joining the Financial Independence Club on Artistic Finance. Today, we have two hosts. Both of us are named Amy, so that'll be easy for you. Ethan's not here. He'll be back soon. I'm sure if you follow the Artistic Finance newsletter, you'll know why he's not here, because they've got all kinds of moving around and interesting things going on. So sign up for that newsletter, and you can get in the know. In case you noticed, this is no longer called the Financial Independence Book Club. We have rebranded to the Financial Independence Club because books can't contain us. Now, that is a semantic thing, but if you stop seeing the word book, that's why we just want you to know that you do not have to read the book to listen to the book. You can come here and hear the review of a book if you haven't had time to read it. And on that note, I also want to say it is really hard to find time to read when we're busy adulting these days, isn't it? And I am no less guilty than that. Sometimes I have to listen to the audiobook, and sometimes I'll listen to it on one and a half times speed because I'm also really busy too. So don't worry if you feel stressed that you can't read all these books. We got you. You can listen in. You can still learn. You can listen to a book while you're cleaning your house, driving to work, any kind of thing like that. Audiobooks count just as much as real books do. (laughs) So without further ado, let's talk about the mission of the Financial Independence Club. 
Our mission is to create a transparent forum and inclusive community to propel creatives and art workers into financial security. Our vision is financial literacy for creatives and everyone. Everyone deserves prosperity. So thank you for being here and thank you for learning with us. Now, to talk about this book, we are talking about Financial Feminist by Tori Dunlop. This came out, I think, just this year um, and went immediately to New York Times bestseller. Tori's amazing. She has a blog called Her First 100K, uh, which was started from her journey, and we'll talk a lot about that. Joining me today is Amy Pett. Amy Pett is a world traveler, a solo mom to twins, an ultra runner, a home musician, and she's working her way to Phi. We met at a trail race originally, and Amy forgot to complete her campsite registration. So they had nowhere to stay. And they were driving around the campsite. This was for Sky Island, which I'm running again in a few weeks. And so uh, Amy and Farah were driving around looking for a place to camp. And they found me and my friend Madison. And according to Amy, we looked pretty cool. <laughs> so they asked if they could crash in a corner of our campsite. And we immediately became besties. We talk almost every day. And we have so much in common, including ultra running, financial independence goals, and just being badass women all around. So thank you for joining Amy. Take it away. What do you got to say? Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about that. I think we've only actually been in person two or three times over how many years? <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> Make it work virtually. <laughs> it can happen. You don't need to be, be location independent. Um. I love this book. I told you earlier, my stoke level was super high. This book really resonated with me. I mean, you know, that was my intro, but you know, I come from a kind of conservative area. Patriarchy is strong. Like I just see some areas in this book that like I have fallen into those pitfalls and have been working to climb my way out. And so it was just really awesome to see finance from that perspective of, you know, financial feminism, she really just brings to light weaknesses or just some areas where they're challenging for women and how we can overcome a lot of those things or, and other marginalized groups too, just all marginalized groups that aren't taught some of these things. I do love that she really emphasizes marginalized groups and she brings that point over and over and over again. She brings she has a podcast. She talks about it. She talks about it on all of her socials. She is a white woman, just like we are, uh, but very high awareness and very statistically driven, which we will also, I'm sure, get into a lot of that as well. When we, she is constantly calling out the opportunities that are not presented to women, to people of color, to the LGBTQ plus community. And it is not performative at all. Uh, she goes in with statistics. Many of her guests on the podcast um, are people of color and women of color. And the, the, statistic, the statistics are staggering, as we know, and we often talk about over and over again. These are things we just have to keep talking about. And I really appreciate throughout the book that as a white woman herself, she constantly is saying, white women, you need to bring women of color into the conversation. Men, you need to bring women into the conversation, pull up a chair at the table. She is constantly calling out 
patriarchy and systemic issues and saying, you know, this is just not acceptable anymore. It's a really great book for everyone and especially for resources for people that, you know, are conditioned to think that they that money is not for me or a raise is not for me and negotiating is not for me. And I'm just grateful to have a job when so many people don't. And, uh, you know, if I work at a nonprofit, uh, I should be grateful because, you know, I'm, I'm doing this for all of the other people and therefore I should take a lesser salary. She calls out self-care. It is nice to have wine and a face mask, but that is not self-care. Self-care is taking care of ourselves financially, taking care of our families financially, drawing a line between of boundaries of, you know, I'm not going to sacrifice my sleep or my wellness or or things and 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 just digging into the side hustle culture and so many things. The book is so thorough. You know, as you said, the summary is she's covering a financial game plan, debt, investing, earning, living the financial feminist lifestyle. And I also want to say that I know that word feminist can be so intimidating to certain people. And I, I want to say to white, cis, straight men, this is not, this is for you too. You know, you are with us. You can be with us. That fe- feminism is for everyone. And we are all stronger when everyone is participating in the economy, in the community, when we're all able to have enough to share and give. This is for everyone. Join the cause for sure. It is, it is good stuff. Yeah, I loved her prior like um her priority list of like here's your here's your financial priorities from her game. This is from the chapter on the, the game plan. And she started priority zero is necessities. So you pay your bills. You got, you know, you don't want to get kicked out of your house. So you pay your mortgage, your rent. That that's just kind of default. You pay all those things. And then priority two, and this differs from a lot of the financial advice out there. Her priority two is you contribute to a high yield savings account. Um, So if you don't have one, you get one and you start contributing. All of her advice is so, I feel like it's so doable for anybody because she doesn't tell you, you put 10% of your income to this or you put $300 a month. She just says, put something in a high yield savings account. That's your, that's your first priority after the zero priorities, the necessities, high yield. And a lot of people it's, debt payoff, debt payoff, debt payoff. And she kind of comes at it as it like, you've got to get used to saving instead of, and I think especially with women, you know, everything else first. And so this is like pay yourself first kind of a, a thing. I, I have heard some people say pay yourself first, but, um, and it's specifically a high yield savings account. You put some money in there, whatever you can contribute, that's your first priority. Priority number two level was that is your start paying off debt that is over 7% or higher or over 7% um, because that that's killing you. So you got to get that paid down. The next priority was your retirement fund and then lower interest debt. So under 7% start, start working that debt off. And she also, she's very flexible at this. She says, if your business matches you on your 401k, like, yeah, do do the 3% match. Like like just do that's free money. So do that. So if that has to, you know, bump up in the price, you do that. But I, yeah, I just I like that she said do the high yield savings account. That's where you're going to get the best interest as far as your money goes. And it's just that act of doing some and even as you're you yeah, you want to pay off debt. 
But that act of saving along with the debt payoff, you know, builds confidence. I can't remember exactly what she said, but it builds confidence. But it, it's it's a good practice to include in that. And along with building confidence, it also, uh, she also emphasizes, you know, once you have that debt paid off, then once you, if you have that savings muscle already trained, you're going to be in a better position because you could move that money that you're putting to debt payoff into now a higher percentage of saving. If you don't save and you focus, focus, focus on debt and something happens where you lose your job or you're unable to work and you're not able to get income for some reason and you don't have that savings bucket, that emergency savings, then you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. And so with the putting an emergency fund in a high yield savings, not only are you saving, but that is money that you can access anytime as liquid. And it is also uh, compounding interest. So keeping money in your checking account more than you need for your regular bills is a no-no. You d- definitely want to use that that high yield savings. And she really does simplify the buckets. Pay your bills, pay your expenses, obviously, and then your savings and then your debt and then anything over that, that could be fun money. Yeah, she had that because that was the priorities and then there's the budget. And and she, does she call it the no budget budget? I really loved her budgeting format because like I've tried some of the, and the complicated budgeting works for some people, a hundred percent. It totally does. It does not work for me. I've tried some of the apps. I've, you know, I've made very detailed budgets and I've broken things out by all kinds of categories and I I don't follow it. I don't do it. But she has three, bu- it, it, she calls them buckets and, and it is her necessity. So again, that necessities kind of shows up. Necessities is your bucket number one. Your goals is bucket number two. And that's things like debt, savings, financial self-care. And then she calls her third bucket, the treat yourself bucket. <laughs> so that's your values-based categories and kind of the values base and some of the extra. And I love that she also talks in that chapter about value-based spending. And you don't create six or seven or eight value categories. You create like three value categories. You create like, this is what I value. I value eating out or I value nice clothes or I value hiking gear. You, you, you figure out what kind of those three areas are and that's, you stick to those things. And just keep it simple. And it's not that you can't spend on anything else, but when you are doing more value-based spending, you're not necessarily spending on things that don't matter to you. And I think there's that less opportunity to look back on like, I just spent $2,000 on a vacation and I don't even value travel. That That is not me. I do value travel. <laughs> so travel is definitely one of my one of my um, my areas, my value based categories. But if it's not for you, you know, don't spend money keeping up with the Joneses or trying to make a certain appearance. Because the question that you have to ask yourself is, do I value making someone else think I'm something I'm not to be accepted more than I value retiring in comfort? Yeah. And she brings on the debt free guys at, at a certain point. She has a lot of guests in the book and she brings in the debt free guys um, who are a lovely gay couple that are in the financial independence community. And that was the question that they asked themselves. And they and what I really thought was interesting about their section and what they were commenting was they kind of realized they said, why, you know, we want they wanted to buy a house, they couldn't. And every every time they wanted to do something, they just didn't have the funds for it. And they said, 
why can't we do this? And, and they dug really deep and they realized that part of their spending habits were based around um, wanting to look a certain way and be accepted by people or their community. And they asked themselves that question, do we want to look a certain way and care enough about what other people think about us more than we want to save a million dollars for retirement? You know, and when you put it into terms like that, it's really hard to me to keep prioritizing just appearances, you know, and I think there's we go through phases and and we grow and we change and we shift. And it's okay to change what those values are as you evolve, you know, but it's really getting to know yourself and knowing what is the most important for you? You know, we're both ultra run. Well, I'm not an ultra runner yet, but I'm training, but we're both trail runners. And, you know, so we're going to need a budget for trail races and we're going to need a budget for, you know, hiking gear and things like that. And, you know, for me also travel is a big one, you know, for other people, it might be clothes. It might be, it might be the salon and, uh, you know, it, there's all kinds of things. You just got to do you and like find out what your value is. And, and do it intentionally. Yes. That's a theme. Um, yeah. But making <laughs> it intentional and spending your money where you actually want to spend it is what is important. Oh, okay. She wants to sit next to mommy. So, <laughs> Okay. We've got to be quiet. Should we move on? Should that be our segue to the next takeaway? <laughs> like a takeaway. <laughs> I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> and we were talking about this earlier. We had some good conversation about this. But like the financial advice given to women looks different than the financial advice that is like targeted and directed to men. Some of why I'm where I'm at right now is because of that advice. I have been comfortable at my wage, which is well below the market value, because I am so good at saving money on groceries. And I know how to cut my you know, housing budgets. And I, I've got all these things really low because I've had all that great advice. But do I know how to negotiate a salary? Do I know how to job hop? You know, and the, the, the advice given to women is, how to save money on your groceries, how to, how to um, spend less because, you know, women, we spend, we're spenders. Like, and, and there is kind of this moral judgment on like the way that the advice is given. Men spend just as much as women, but that's on stuff that matters. So it's okay to spend money on, you know, my mountain bike habit or, and I don't think it should matter for either gender, how they're spending their money, if they're, you know, doing what they want. But there is kind of this like, oh, women spend all this money on, but then like, we also have to spend money on like self-care because if we don't look pretty enough and if we don't look young enough, you know, then whatever. But, and uh, the, the financial advice given to men is how to negotiate a, your uh, raise, how to invest. Here's some hot stock tips. And it just, the, 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 the uh, messages sending out are it's it's pointing us in different directions and it's also creating moral judgments on our financial lives yeah there's there's a lot of shame culture to women and women spending there is more marketing to women there is a lot of you know spending that comes along there's a lot of advertising a lot of marketing there's the pink tax so you know a, a razor is going to cost more for a woman than it does for a man you know, and there's things like that 
but it's the shaming that comes along with it, which is the issue because the the advice these days is you just need to save money on groceries or you just need to not buy your latte. It is not the spending of the latte. It's because we're making 60% of what a man is making and we're not being taught how to invest. So we're also not getting compound interest. And there's a lot of women are afraid to invest. Also, one of the statistics she talks about is that men will apply for a job when they only have 60% of the skills, where women will wait till they have 100% of the skills before they'll apply for that job. So not only are we not negotiating for the job, we're not even applying for the job. And this is all conditioning and it's all very systemic. Where did this come from? Like, how are we getting two completely different messages? You know, like, why are we you know, oh, got to do all the things. And then they're like, whatever, I'll just apply. Like it's, anyhow, I don't know where it's all coming. Well, some of it's coming from the media we consume, but it's just like. It's the patriarch. <laughs> and we don't need to work. We don't need to have income. We just need to sit sit there and look pretty. Pretty. Well, and it's the same. It's for women. And again, it's, it's for all the marginalized groups. And yes. people of color, you know, it's it gets even worse. It's like a totem pole effect. The, the closest that uh, uh, Asian women make the most at 95% of what they up to 95% of what a male will make in the same position. And it goes all the way down to 60% for, I think it's Latina um, and, and women of color. And then uh, again, in the gay community as well, you know, we know that there are, there are things like sending a resume with your name on it. And if your name is very ethnic, a lot of times those get looked right over. You know, so there's a lot, there's a lot of things, but what she does talk about in the book that is very helpful is she points out, um, you know, the discrepancy of of what men are conditioned and they're given articles about investing and they're taught how to negotiate and women are, you know, uh, are not taught that, but she, she goes very thoroughly, thoroughly into how to practice negotiating, how to ask for what you need, how to stop, uh, you know, how to better value your skills and not do what, you know, you mentioned that you, that you've been doing for a long time and saying, well, I can get by on this. So it's all I need. This is what I need. So that's what I'll ask for. Yeah. So she was very detailed into, you know, how to make improvements in these areas. She literally gives you, you can customize it, but she's like, here's something you can say. Like if you're not comfortable with this, here you go right here. And you can just take that. And I am writing those things down for when I do some interviews and negotiation because I'm going to be scared to death and I'm not (laughs) afraid to admit it because I'm not used to doing that, but I'm going to do it. I have to do it because that's how we all will be raised up together when we stop uh, like accepting this difference and we stand up and we say, no, this is what my value is. Here's the fair market value. She gives you the scripts, but um. If we undervalue ourselves, we keep the bar low for everyone. Everyone. Mm-hmm. Everyone is affected by that. So if you feel uncomfortable or selfish or guilty or whatever your thing is, that is, it is intimidating. I will say it's intimidating to negotiate for the first time, right? But you have to remember, this isn't about you. You know, like this is about womankind and all people of color and the entire gay community, you know, Every single one of us that asks for, and it's online, you can look what the market value is for your position. You can look at what the range is. And if you're within a job, 
Look at the job description that you were given when you were hired compared to what you're doing now if you're negotiating for a raise or you're negotiating for a new position. Use that as, you know, you can point to that and say, well, this is what I was hired for. And now a year and a half later or whatever, uh, I'm doing this as well. You know, you can create a receipt of your skills and, and how much you're contributing. And then if they say no, then you can say, okay, what do I need to do in the next six months to earn this raise or this promotion? And then you can get this exact punch list. And then you follow up that meeting with an email that says, thank you for the talk. This is what we talked about today. I look forward to working on these items. And then when you go back in six months, you, you have this track record. And if they still say no, then you know that's a red flag. And then now you know, you've also just given yourself all these new skills and values that you've worked on the past six months. And so at that point, you can confidently shop around because you might just be at a dead end. And then you'll know that. Then you'll know you're at a dead end. <laughs> that's right. It's a, it's an indicator. But you're never there. You're never going to just get it handed to you. You know, there are some companies that give like small, you know, every year they give a 2% raise or something like that. But it's not keeping up with inflation and it doesn't reflect your value set. So you have to ask and you have to look when I first started negotiating, I was shaking in my knees. I was shaking. I was so uncomfortable, but it just was really unfair what some of the, you know, offers and what what happened with me was I would say what I, you know, what I wanted. And again, you usually try not to, um, you usually want them to give you a number first, yes. but I would then counter with what I expected. And nine times out of 10, what happened was they would say, well, we can't do that, but we can do this. And it was always more than the initial offer. So even if you don't get exactly what you're asking for, nine times out of 10, in my experience, there was still something more than what they offered. And then you can also you can also negotiate things besides pay. So if it is a company that you really love working for and you're really happy or a position that you're very interested in joining, um, you can negotiate your PTO, you can negotiate your title that costs them nothing flexibility um like because if, if time time independence is a big thing that's an opportunity four day i've heard of people doing four day work weeks and so like yeah they get as much pay but they're only working four days now or or they get like every other friday's off or what like there's options out there yeah and it comes back to your values like for me more pto is value because i love travel i have negotiated for more vacation time than what they might normally start someone off with because that was worth more than money to me in, in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, but get to what you want. So you have to get used to that. So yeah, I'm I'm nervous about negotiating, but I one of the things I know going into as I have, I'm kind of writing down some of her scripts, but I also think to myself, I'm like, I'm doing this for my daughter. I'm doing this for my sisters. I'm doing this for my friends. Like I'm doing this for every person out there who is like me and not making fair market value, I'm doing this for us. I'm doing it for my coworkers who are not making enough money because we work for a nonprofit. And if we ask for more, that's greedy. And we're taking away from the people we're serving. And it's like, mm, red flag, time to go. <laughs> 
like seriously like I, this is her script. I, um, when they ask you like what, what you want to make, I'd be happy to tell you if your budget meets my expectation. And so then they have to tell you what it is. But I loved, I absolutely, I, that is so ballsy, lady ballsies. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to tell you if your budget meets my expectation when asked what your... And she also emphasizes this for freelancers, which I think is great because she says, yes. the gate, what's your budget? You know, when it's a specific project, what's your budget? And then, you know, because then you can tailor it to the needs of the budget or you can walk away. And, and there was um, there was one uh, part where they were talking about one of her guest speakers was talking about her rate. And they said, well, our other consultant doesn't charge that. And she said, well, I'm not the other consultant and this is, you know, the value that I bring. You have to kind of be willing to walk away. And I think that's a lot hard for a lot of people too, especially if we're not making money in the first place or we're launching a new business or a new side hustle or something, right? It's really scary to say no when you need an income or you want that income or you want the, you want to kind of get your portfolio started, whatever it is. The more that you, you know, say yes to things that don't serve you, and then you don't have time for those better tickets to come in, right? So in this case, you know, she said, "Well, this is my rate, and um, this is what I offer, and and you know, this is the value based on X, Y, and Z." And they didn't go with the other consultant; they ended up choosing her, all right, um, because she understood, you know, what she was giving and. Maybe their work with the other consultant wasn't as good or, you know, didn't produce as much or who knows what. But a lot of times uh, it will end up working out, but you kind of have to stick to your guns and, and understand your value. You have to know your worth. Setting the bar high is an act of rebellion against misogyny and patriarchy. This isn't a direct quote. This is my summary of it. But against, um, it's an act of rebellion against misogyny and patriarchy to bring all women up and close the wage gap. And she talks about that a lot about we all move up together. When, when we do this, everybody wins. All the women win. I, all, not just women, everybody wins. Patriarchy hurts everybody, not women. But this helps. And that's what's going to close the wage gap is by setting the bar high. That's right. So, yeah, yeah. It just gets me all. I mean, it helps. It helps when it's intimidating. It helps to give you your why. Right. Like, why am I doing this? I'm doing this for my kids. I'm doing this for other women. I'm doing this for other marginalized for my son, too. Like, I want him to see like what like what women are, you know, to see that. I mean, there was so much good in this book. There's um, you know, she has a whole thing on, on all about the investing. She makes it very um, accessible to like anybody. It felt like she went through negotiation, went all through those things. But kind of my third takeaway, and I think this kind of surprised me that I wanted this to be takeaway, but was the, the chapter on being a financial feminist and all about financial self-care. Um, and I know the word self-care is out there in the world a lot. And we women are told, oh, we need self-care, we need self-care. But she also talked about, we need financial self-care. Um, we have to put our financial mask on first. You know, you know, the airplane, you put on your mask first. And we have a lot of people that need us wanting to help people, wanting to give to charity, wanting to sacrifice is what she calls a capital G good, but you need to take care of yourself first before you can help others. And I, I know that's easy to say, but I really, and I have seen this in my life. I've seen this in my, my mom will make 
bread and take it around her whole neighborhood, but she's on a fixed income. And I'm like, you have got to stop taking care of everybody in the world. And then she had, you know, an, an emergency come up and didn't have the money for it. And it's because she's taking care of all these other people. Bless her heart. She has a capital G good heart. But we have to we have to put ourselves in a good financial position. Then we can help all those people. Then we can take bread to everybody in the world we want to. And depending on your age, like you have kids or you have, you know, aging parents you're taking care of and there's all this stuff. And that that just really hit home to me because I was really I'm from a strong conservative patriarchal uh, community and women are praised for sacrificing. If you are dead last, you're doing it right. <laughs> but I also come from an area that's very high on antidepressants. And there's a lot of women that like their, their husbands pass away and they're financially almost ruined, you know, because they don't know anything about finances. So that just really hit home the whole like, it's not selfish to take care of your financial needs first. Most men sit around and even are talking about that. Like, you know, I need to take care of my finances first. That's a given that they like, they should be, they're the breadwinners. They're the ones that are asking for money is praise, you know, it's not greedy. And, but for women, it's so, it's just this double standard where if we're putting our finances first, we're, we're, we're greedy. We're, I don't know. We're, you know, you're that woman in the, the Hallmark movie. That's the bad girlfriend, you know, <laughs> cause you're taking care of your things. And she says, you know, she's not saying not to help and not to share. She's saying to do it from a place of security and abundance. And she talks a lot about like raising everybody up. And this is how we do it. We all become financially abundant, financially secure, financially independent, and we can help more people that way. Um, one of the things she talks about doing that is having monthly financial dates. And if you have a partner, you can do that with your partner. And I'm like, I've heard of financial dates with couples, but I'm like, I'm single. Like, I only have a financial date. But that got me thinking, like, as my kids get older, I think I do want to have family financial dates. They're four. They're a little young for it yet. But, like, I want them to understand where our finances go. I want them to understand investing. I want them to understand savings. I want them to understand the power of interest or the damage that interest can do. And so, but, you know, you, you look at your account. Look at your goals, make new goals, and then set your next date was, was kind of how she sets up that financial date. I I have actually had financial dates with myself for a couple of years now. I, um, I was doing uh, what I call Finance Fridays, where I just check in on my budget, my goals, and things like that. I've moved that to more of a monthly uh, than a weekly because I, I obviously things a lot more under control now. I don't have to, but when I was first getting started, I did it every week because it was so much to get through in the beginning because I was completely unrealistic about um, what my spending habits were and, and what my actual expenses were and things like that before I had a budget. Um, and so there was a lot of, you know, a lot I had to do, but I have done those financial dates, just taking myself on a date. And she talks about this too burn some candles, you know, get a plushy blanket and a glass of wine and, you know, and just make it fun. But I love the idea of you doing it with your kids or anybody that um, wants to, you know, do it with their kids or their family or even friends, you know, set up a monthly or a quarterly uh, to just check in and, and you don't even have to 
be like sharing the numbers. Maybe it's just like a workshop where you're there, you're intentional and you're working on your thing and they're working on their thing or something like that, you know, just, just to check in and keep regularly looking at what you, what your goals are, what your needs are, how you're moving your buckets around and things like that. She also has that one guest that talks about his kids he gives them an allowance based on how old they are. So his daughter's 10. So she gets $10 a week allowance and his son is seven and he gets $7 a week allowance. And then they just put it into their digital buckets. And then once a quarter, they all sit down and they talk about how do you want to break it up? You know, and they've got their give bucket and they've got their save bucket and they've got their fun bucket and they can decide. And, you know, his seven-year-old, uh, is a giver. And so when, uh, you know, things were really getting started with Ukraine, his son said he wanted to give money to the kids in Ukraine, uh, you know, who were fleeing the country and in dealing with that. But just getting kids started at a young age to understand where and how you can spend, invest, and and what that looks like is really important. And I love those quarterly check-ins, you know, to reassess and reevaluate sure so you're on track and you know, your values are are the are what you think they are. Yeah, I I think a lot of people avoid that with kids. I know money wasn't that taboo in my family growing up, but it is in a lot of places. So we would talk about that kind of stuff, but um not everyone does, but kids can pick up on this stuff. Kids soak it in, have them make their money mistakes, have them make wins and learn this while they're young while it's low risk because <laughs> once once they're grown and gone like how many people get into college and then get a credit card and have no idea how credit works and like get into a grundle of debt that's Tori got in a grundle of debt from college um and talks about that but just like there's so many kids that don't even understand how credit cards work like oh you have to pay those off and you know there's monthly and if you just pay the minimum monthly but yeah Teach them, teach them young. And you can have those kind of family money dates. I really like too that she said, like at the end of your money date, you set the next date. And I periodically look at my finances and look at my goals and things, but I don't do it on a regular basis. It's like, oh, I haven't looked at that in three months. Or like sometimes I'll go weekly and then I'll go like three months and I'm like, oh, wait, I just carried a balance. You know, and so I like the idea of like do your money date and then set the next date. Because then instead of, winging it you you just have that regularly happening yeah and she also you know her origin story with money is really interesting because you know she's very lucky that she did have parents that taught her about finance at an early age and I think she was like three or four years old when there was a, a Broadway show that she wanted to see and her parents encouraged her to see money in her little piggy bank or she, she used like a mint tin and whenever she got like a quarter for something, she filled it up. They went to the show. She said, okay. Like her parents told her, okay, we get to go to the show. You saved money. And she got all the way. They drove there and got all the way to the show. And she forgot her tin. And she was crying because she said, how am I going to afford my ticket now? And of course, she did not save enough money for a Broadway ticket. Her parents were always intending to pay for it. But it was the act of teaching her to save that made her feel like she earned, you know, that she saved and then was able to be rewarded to go. And um, I just love that story. I wish more kids were encouraged at such a young age to think about how money works. Absolutely. So 
that I, I did like that story too. It was so cute. She thought she was paying for her ticket, but, but she was saving for it. And that like in her mind, she was, and that's what mattered is that she was developing that skill at such a young age. So, and you know, if you don't have kids, like I'm an aunt, auntie, I do a lot of things with kids. And so like, I will hire my nieces when my nieces and nephew are trying to earn money, I'll hire them. We've talked about money. I was talking to my nephew about high yield savings accounts the other day because he has some money that he wanted to put somewhere. Um, he was he was talking about investing and should he do what kind of stock should he get? And we went on all about mutual funds. And I'm like, dude, don't be doing like fun stocks. Find yourself like a mutual fund that mirrors the S&P 500 or all. So we were talking about, I was like, no, no, dude, if you just start putting like a thousand, I can't remember what it is, but he's, he just turned to eight, 18, 19. I'm like, dude, if you put like a thousand dollars a year away, starting now, we were looking at like the, like the, um, every seven years, you're, if you get a certain interest rate. So I was explaining this to him and, you know, he's, he was just like, Whoa, I was like, by if you put this much away a year, I can't remember what it was, you'll be a millionaire by this age. But he was soaking it in. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I was giving him that information. Because if he goes and jumps on Reddit or talks to some other kids he knows, like who knows what he's gonna be doing. But it's like it's not sexy, but it is the way to financial independence and wealth. So um, so everybody has an opportunity to help. And again, see, that's me helping. He's a boy and that's okay. <laughs> we all rise together. <laughs> but he got his <laughs> investing advice from a woman. So, you know, like in his mind, I hope he understands like my, and my sister was jumping in on that as well. And I, I hope he comes away from those conversations going, wow, those women know what they're talking about in investing, you know? So financial feminism. Yeah. I mean, obviously we both loved the book. What, and in summary, what, what would you conclude? How would you conclude? I, and I think it's overall, one, and it, this was kind of one of her final thoughts was build a table, not a fence. As we get more financially stable, we make room for more people at the table. So don't, don't like hoard your wealth and don't like push people, other people out, build that table. And as we get more money, we can expand our table and more people can come to the table. So instead of it being this like, because sometimes there's just like, ah, I get all the money and stuff. But for women, like, it, it's just that that concept of everybody raises up together. You know, as we become financially secure, we can help other people. We can help other women, people of color, marginalized groups. Um, but yeah, we can fit more people at the table by becoming financially stable. There's all the steps. There's the ways of getting there and doing it. It's an inclusive thing. It's not that hard to do. It's not, it's not sexy. It's not complicated. It's simple, but you do the things and it works. It's doing simple things and it's kind of that consistency and taking care of yourself and setting a high bar. But I love her inclusiveness in that message and that concept of a table, not a fence. Yeah, and she definitely emphasizes consistency over and over again. And I love when she talks about adding planks and adding chairs to make it bigger for everyone. Yeah. And you don't hear that in a lot of other finance. We're, we're being jo joining the table. Um, you don't usually hear that in some of the other financial advice. It can be kind of more cutthroat. And and I'm like, no, this is, this is how it should be. Well, obviously, we both love the book. It just makes everything so accessible. I 
really can't recommend it enough. Obviously, you get a gist of what it is here, but Tori Dunlop, financial feminist, uh, her first 100K on social, her first 100K.com, all of her content, her podcast is also called Financial Feminist. Um, just such great content to make this accessible for folks of all races, creeds, colors, uh, genders, you know, just really good, really very accessible content to help us to, to grow and to, you know, not be quiet in the patriarch anymore. Everyone deserves prosperity. Absolutely. So thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Oliver and Rosie for joining as well. You guys are going to learn all about finances growing up. It's going to be so great. You're going to get to listen back to this and hear your mom on this podcast. They have no idea the lectures that are coming. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you everyone for joining and listening in today. Check out our newsletters. We've got the artisticfinance.com slash club for information about next month's book and where you can sign up for the Utopia Dreamscape newsletter, which includes a recap of our FI book of the month and resources that are also in the Utopia Dreamscape Instagram bio. So check out the link in bio at Utopia Dreamscape on Instagram. And we will see you next time. Until then, break a leg. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you to the Amy's for having that conversation. Now, my takeaways were negotiating tips. That was amazing, including the suggestion to negotiate for the market rate of a job rather than what you personally need to survive. It seems so simple, but that's something that I've done time and time again where I've taken a low rate because I think, oh, I can squeeze that into my schedule. I can make it happen. And I don't think you know what, if they were going to hire a real designer, <laughs> I'm a real designer, uh, they would have to pay them X. Uh, but you know, I can make it work for this. Um, so I'll do it. Anyway, so yes, negotiate just the basic thing of fight for the market rate, because it's the market rate. Don't make it work for you. In that same vein, ask for what you want and what you need. Because 90% of the time, companies are going to come back and they're going to deny it, but they're going to offer you something more than their initial offer. Amy Deluxe pointed that out, and it is so good because I've found that true myself. Now, I've gotten sloppy because I've broken my own rule of negotiation, and the only rule I have, which is ask for something more. When there's an offer, ask for something more. And this summer, it was a days, and I... Uh, one thing I didn't do was I didn't ask for per diem uh, because the two jobs that I took didn't offer it. And so this fall, as I've taken jobs, I've said, oh, there's per diem, right? Or something along those lines. Because it makes a big difference in the take-home pay if you're buying your food every day. And in that same line of asking for per diem or things like that, remember to ask for things besides money because maybe they can give you more time or more flexibility, things that reflect your values can be just as valuable because it isn't really the money that we want. It's what are we going to do with that money, which is why we need the money. So if they can provide you some of those other things, then maybe there's a win-win for everyone. And also Amy Pet for the win, when negotiating and being uncomfortable, think to yourself, I'm doing this for this person or this person, for my mom, for everybody else like me, for the next designer down the line. 
Do that because it helps remove yourself from the situation and you can sort of look big picture and it helps you ask for the thing. It just makes it easier. And this goes back all the way to episode 93 where we had projection designer Kate Hevner on and she was saying, remove yourself from the equation because think, if I had to pay a studio assistant to do this work, how much would I have to pay them? Or if I had to pay a designer, how much would I have to pay them? So you're not saying, how much do I need to do this? You're saying, how much does anybody need? But anyway, moral of the story is there. Pull yourself out of the situation so that way you get rid of feelings of guilt or uncomfortableness and say, no, this is just how the world works. And look, there I'm playing a little Sims game and I'm going to play with Ethan and have him negotiate. And oh, there's Ethan negotiating versus being Ethan and negotiating. So I just love that, you know, I'm doing this for something. I'm doing this. It's not really me. Uh, it just helps you. Another thing that got pointed out was you have to be willing to walk away sometimes. I've said that a hundred times on the show. The one piece of power that you as a freelancer, as a negotiator, the one piece of power you have is walking away. In fact, actually, I have a show coming up and I wanted a flight for my son because uh, he's young. And so any job I get now, I say, I need you to fly my spouse and my son. We went back six emails back and forth about flying Theo because they didn't want to do it. And they said, well, he's a lap infant. He can go on the lap. And I said, no, we don't want to be breastfeeding next to somebody else on the plane. We've been there. We've done that. It's really, you know, uncomfortable. And the flight's only 90 minutes or something. But anyway, <laughs> I just did not back down because I'm like, you know, what? my life is too short. And <laughs> I guess I could pay for the flight, etc. I finally said, I'll do the job if you do this and not if you won't. And they said, okay, we'll fly your son. And by the way, the flight ended up being $89. So all that for $89. But the important thing here that I'm trying to say is I was willing to walk away. And while that's unfortunate that I had to say I'm walking away just to get that $89 flight, I still did it because that's the one piece of power that I have. Like the one true piece of power is, okay, I'm not going to light your show which is not being rude, is not being mean. It's just saying, look, I can do certain things with my life, and one of those things is light your show or not, and I'm not going to if you're not willing to do X, Y, Z. Okay, but enough about that anyway. Um, <laughs> hope those people aren't listening. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, anyway. Another takeaway I had was the statistics about women being paid 60% of what men are paid. You know, every year I sort of think those are made up, but... It's really true, um, and it's sobering every time to hear that. And also the thing about men applying for jobs when they don't meet the qualifications. So everybody listening, just please apply for any job that you want. First off, applying takes forever. So, you know, good for you for even going through all that effort. Uh, and then the other thing is that when I was looking for teaching jobs, I applied to 20 places, 20 universities maybe. Um, and I did do some self-monitoring like, oh, I'm not a projection designer, so I'm not gonna apply for that. Or I'm not a scenic designer. So even though they want scenic and lighting, I'm not gonna apply for it. I did a little bit of monitoring, but I also just applied. And maybe this is me being a male. Um, and maybe it was just me being uh, having a son and being like, no, I really want out of New York. But whatever it was, I just applied to some jobs even though I knew I wouldn't get that. Um, or I didn't think I had a chance. I just did it because what's the harm? And then one little other piece of the puzzle here is that some universities reached out to me and they 
asked me to apply and I said, look, I don't do scenery or I don't do <laughs> projections. And they said, we don't care, please apply anyway. So there's a lot of situations where people want you to be applying. And I'm saying that too, because especially post COVID, institutions, places are trying to be more equitable or they're just trying to be a little better. I don't quite know, but any job that you want, just apply because institutions and places that are hiring need you in their line of sight. And sometimes they need you to tell them why they should hire you. But if you don't apply for the job, they'll never even see it or you'll never even get that chance. Okay, another takeaway that I had was taking care of your financial health first before helping others. So just like on an airplane when the oxygen masks fall, you put yours on first before helping your child because if you don't get yours on, you're going to go unconscious and then your child isn't going to stand a chance. But if you take care of your mask first so that you're healthy, then maybe you can help your child and it's all going to work out great. And it's the same for finances. So make sure that you're healthy and then donate to charity and then give to others. So if you aren't financially well, you're not going to even be able to do those other things. You're not going to be able to bake bread and take it around the neighborhood. My final takeaway is knowing your values so that your finances can reflect your values rather than trying to have finances that reflect the values of society. Now, where this resonated with me was both of the Amy's saying that travel is a priority. Now, Nicole and I find it very important as well. And sometimes we lose sight of it and we find ourselves thinking maybe we should be more fashionable or maybe we should go and know more about sports or be up on the Marvel movies or go see the Barbie movie. Well, you know, things that aren't a priority for us, but then we sort of think, well, maybe it should be a priority because everybody around us seems to be up on it. But of course, we then remember that we don't really care about that and that we are who we are and we're the only ones that are living our life. So it was reassuring and validating to hear the Amy's say that too, that travel is important and a lot of the other things can go to the wayside. Though to be clear, Nicole and I are not ultra runners. Just pointing that out. <laughs> um, okay, that was it for my takeaways. But speaking about traveling, we just booked a weekend trip to Los Cabos, Mexico for this upcoming weekend. And it was last minute, but not because we are spur of the moment kind of people, but because we're parents with no family in Phoenix and we're both working full time. So we genuinely have been wanting to book this for a couple months and just found the bandwidth today to do it. But why it's exciting for us and why I'm pointing it out is because it's the first trip that we're taking with Theo just for fun. So it's going to be his eighth flight, but all the other flights have been for work or for moving. And this one is actually for fun. And also we tried to buy him his own seat, but it was $906 for a two hour flight. So we opted to pay $17 for the fees and we're going to put him on our laps. <laughs> All that negotiating for another seat, but we won't do it for ourselves. Okay, but 906 was a little bunch. All right, now this is our third episode that we are broadcasting from the new home base in Phoenix. Fall is here, and I will say we are loving it, but it's almost time for jackets because today was only a high of 87, and we got a little chilly with the breezy evening. <laughs> um, the other thing about Phoenix is that we're still getting used to driving, so even though we got a car, uh, the apartment complex that we park in, there is a pole in the parking spot. And of course, I backed out one day and I hit it. 
So my father-in-law was in town this week and he helped me buffer it out. But it turns out I also don't know how to buffer things. And so I took three little paint chips off the car when I was fixing the pole mark. <laughs> anyway, one day I'm going to get touch-up paint and get that going. But also we have owned the car for almost two months and we haven't gotten it washed, which apparently here is a cardinal sin because if you've been to Phoenix, you know that it gets really dusty. And unlike Missouri or unlike New York, you can't just wait for a rain to sort of wash it off. So admittedly, it is a little bit dusty and we eventually will go get the car washed. Oh, and one other random thing about Phoenix is that we live on a road called Dunlop, which doesn't mean anything other than today's author is named Tori Dunlop. So if I were superstitious, I'd be worried, but I love the coincidence, so I'm pointing that out. And now you know where we live because our area doesn't really have a name other than Phoenix. So I'm always telling people we're at 17 and Dunlop. Which, by the way, good luck finding us if you know where that is. All right, I'm also happy to be back in Phoenix because I spent the last few weeks in New York City working as Jan Versiveld's associate on Dead Man Walking. Now, that was at the Met Opera, and Nicole survived with Theo all on her own because we asked my sister to come stay in Phoenix for a couple weeks. So thank you, Susanna, for doing that. Now, the show opened this past Tuesday, and I will admit that I would have liked a better review from The Times, but... I do agree with their commentary, <laughs> um, and it was complimentary to the staging and to the design. So it's a great show, and I'd recommend going to see it if you're in New York and you have the chance. The Met experience for me was absolutely fantastic. The lighting team there is amazing. So patrons, look for that bonus episode in your patron feed if you want to hear about the lighting there. Uh, so you can join as a patron over at patreon.com slash artisticfinance. I talk all about what it was like and the experience from being asked to work on it to negotiating the contract to the actual lighting portion of the process. So again, check it out at patreon.com slash artisticfinance. We have a mini clan of 30 patrons, and to each one, I am wildly thankful. Okay, the final announcement for today is that LDI... We are officially slotted for December 3rd at 11.15 a.m. for our Artistic Finance live recording. Our session is Lighting Design Tools, Free versus Paid. So that's in Las Vegas, and if you want to attend, there are a lot of ways to get a free pass to the conference. So reach out to me, and we will get you registered, a.k.a. come spend a weekend in Vegas and just take one little hour to come say hi and attend our session. Anyway, find the links to that in our show notes. And today's dad joke to end the show, which by the way, I'm calling them dad jokes, but they can also be called Laffy Taffy jokes. But anyway, the dad joke for the show, why did the financial feminist bring a calculator to the negotiation? Because she wanted to ensure that the gender pay gap didn't subtract from her earnings. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance, where we interview successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the creative community. To access our show notes and resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Thank you.